everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today in our fourth installment of our Outstanding Women in Hockey series that is presented by the PWHPA. We are bringing on the current director of hockey operations and soon-to-be men's world junior video coach for Team USA, Teresa Feaster. What an awesome conversation this was. Teresa grew up in both Hershey, PA and Tampa, Florida. Uh, Her dad is actually Jay Feaster, who was the GM of the Lightning the year that they won the Stanley Cup. So a couple really cool stories about that. Uh, She was the valedictorian of her high school in Tampa before enrolling at Providence College, uh, where she became a student volunteer for the Providence College men's hockey team. She's been doing that for seven seasons. And for the last four, she has been named the coordinator slash director of hockey operations for that team, which any college coach and college program knows is one of the most important jobs that you can have as a college program. Uh, She's done such an amazing job there uh, that Nate Lehman, who's the head coach of Providence, uh, just got named the head coach for the world junior team for next year for Team USA, is bringing Teresa with her or with him uh, to be a coach on their staff, the first woman to ever be named to a coaching staff for the men's world junior team. So uh, what a knowledgeable, what a passionate hockey person. We are so, so excited to have Teresa on the podcast. But before we do get over to her, let's bring on our talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. What's up today, my man? Not much, bro. Just a beautiful day here in STL. Excited to talk some hockey. (laughs) Always, always, man. Dude, how much fun have you been having with this Outstanding Women in Hockey series? Yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, I'm glad that... that, you know, we had this idea and it, and it ran away with it and PWHPA got behind it. So that's unreal. And hopefully it's pushing everybody to, uh, to, to shed more light on the game. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this was an awesome conversation with Teresa and having been involved in college. I've actually met her a couple different times. I met her down in Florida at the coaches convention. And uh, also uh, when we were when I was coaching a couple years ago, we had a a tournament type thing out in the Boston area. And Chris Mayotte, who is an assistant coach at Michigan now, was coaching with Providence at the time. And and him and I are are really good friends. So I drove out to Providence to see a game and and got the chance to to meet her there. So um, um, it's one of those things, man. And we talk about it on the podcast, like there are certain people that like when you talk about them, like, you know, that they're talking about somebody special, you know, like they just, they, they speak in a different tone. Their octave gets like a little bit higher and they're just like, so incredibly impressed with that person. Like the Providence staff, like with Nate and, and Mayo, um, and, and Scotty Bork, who was there at the time, but we got the chance to talk to Steve Miller, who's a coach at Ohio state now, but they won a national championship together at Providence. Like when they talk about Teresa and Joel Beal too, who's an assistant coach there now, they, they just, they gush, man. They're like, this girl is stone cold. She is unreal. She is a huge part of the reason why our program has been at the heights that it had. And, uh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like just some people just talk about people differently. 100%. I mean, I'm, while you're saying that, I'm just thinking about different people in, that I work with that I would like talk like that about. And when coaches call me about 
really special people or special players. Uh, the way that I talk about them, I'm sure is quite a bit different than the way I talk about maybe somebody who I don't feel that way about. Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And that says a lot about her, that, that elite level, high level people are, are acting that way and, and talking about her that way. Yeah, for sure. And, and the other thing that I love about this podcast and, and we talk about this all the time, man, like we have a, a severe, severe appreciation for people that grind it and earn their way to where they are. And you're talking about a woman here who joined on with the hockey program just as a student volunteer, just because she loved the game of hockey because she grew up with it and, and she just loves the sport. So she got involved and Nate hired her uh, as a volunteer when she was a student. And then when she graduated, like they were like, we can't lose her. <laughs> we, we need her as a part of our program. And so, so they hired her back and, and, uh, she's still with the program here today. Uh, she's won a national championship with that program. And if you ask anybody that's on that coaching staff, she's just as important as anybody else, any player, any coach, any administrator, uh, to help them be the, the program that they are in Providence, continually a top 10 program in the country for, you know, for the past, I don't know, five, 10 years or so. Uh, and so, so just the fact that she's been able to to earn that, uh, earn that spot, and then earn that spot as the as the coach for Team USA for World Juniors. I mean, it's just really cool and being able to to talk about her journey and and pick her brain about hockey. And we had some good hockey talk too. So this was just a fun conversation, and uh, yeah, just a lot of respect for her journey on it. I like your face when you're like she earn that. She earned that. I know listeners can't see how intense your mug just was as you were saying that, but I felt that she earned it as well. But yeah, man, I mean, it's like, I think of it too, you know, establishing and, and showing your team, whether that's the working world, hockey team, whatever your value, like proving your worth. And so many people, so many players, so many kids, I'm sure I, I did this at some levels. I know like you come in and you just think oh, I'm going to be first line. I'm going to be second line. I'll be first power play. I'll be first PK. It's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Like you need to come in and you need to prove your worth. And if the coach puts you on the fourth line, you kill that role. And then what happens? He gives you a little more rope and then you, you do more and then you kill that, you know, added role and then you get some more rope. And all of a sudden now you're not on the fourth line. You're on the second line. And it's like, it sounds like that's exactly what she did. She came in as a volunteer. Now she's legit full-time staff, going to be coaching with the world junior team. Like she came in, she established her value, proved her worth, and now they need her. And that's awesome. And it's a, you know, players listen to that and just liking it to when you go to that next level, you're not necessarily going to be the same spot you were last year, Like you got to earn it. And then you get more rope and keep earning it, keep earning it, keep earning it every single day. Keep proving your worth. Yeah, for sure. And that just doesn't go for, for players too. That goes for coaches. And so I get, I get asked all the time by people that want to get in the business and how do I get in the business? I want to coach college hockey. I want to coach pro hockey. I want to get involved, all that kind of stuff. And the providing value part is so, so important. And so for me, like if I'm a coach and I want to get into it, it's not just like, how are you going to show people your value if they don't know you? So don't just email somebody. Be like, hey, I did this study on the neutral zone 
and this is what I found. Hopefully you can find this valuable and you can use it. This is the kind of thing that I can do for you to provide you value. Or I did this study or I know like there's just don't don't just be like, hey, I'm involved. I'm, I'm interested in as uh, being a part of your program. So uh, if you can email me back and let me know if that works for you like that doesn't it doesn't work that way. Like if you truly show a passion, you show that you can be valuable to somebody that's so important if you want to get into the game. So for all the, the young coaches out there that are trying to get into it, um, email as many people as you can, but provide some value to a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what you can provide if they hire you, hire you as a part of their staff as well. hundred percent. And I think back when I was, you know, in the early stages of my company, just to like show like a, a, a different angle of that. Like I tell people to come in for free, like, Hey, Come in the first time. I'll show you what I do. You'll see how it's different. I won't even charge you. You never got to pay me back. If you don't like it, don't never got to come back. If you do like it, we can talk about you working with me. I, I showed my value. I showed my worth. And then, you know, from then on, it's, you know, see you. Slam yeah, down. it's the same. They're Entrepreneurship in. is the same way. You know, yeah. like you're not, you don't start off a company with a million dollars. You know, no. you have to do things for free and you have to grind it and you have to earn it and you have to provide like, like we're just talking about, you have to provide value without getting value back at first. And then as soon as you do provide that and you show people what you can do for them and how, how much of a positive you can have so much of a positive impact you can have on them. That's when the value comes both ways. And, and, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's all about, there's no special pill to being successful or happy or fulfilled. Like you have to work at it. Even like happiness, man. Like it's fun. like when you kind of like grow up, you kind of just like are happy for a certain extent of time. And I feel like the older that I've gotten, and I'd love to ask you this question, you actually kind of have to work at it to be happy. Like you have to do things that you're passionate about and you have to be around the right people. And, and, and it, 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 you can't just snap your fingers and be like, Oh, okay. Like I'm having a good time right now. Like you have to kind of put in some work on it. What do you think about that? Dude, I totally agree. And, and what's hard for me is sometimes saying no or turning down things that I know will not make me happy. And when I was younger, I never said no to anything. Like if somebody needed something or wanted something, it didn't matter. I was going to be there to, to do it, to help them. I never said no, even, even, and this is where it's like tricky. Like when it was at a detriment to myself, yeah. like, like it was something where, you know, I should be doing this right now because that's what I need to do to get towards my goals. But I'm going and doing this because I can't say no, or because I'm trying to be a good person and help somebody else out, or I don't want to say no to my parents. They want me to do this thing. And I know that I should be doing this to achieve my goals, but I'm going and doing this. And as I've gotten older, I've just learned that like, you know, I've got to do things for myself that make me happy, that, that help me get towards my goals within obviously still saying yes to helping people with things that don't really concern me. But there are certain things where, you, you know, they're just not good for you, not for good for your mental well-being, your mental health, you know, your physical health, like whatever, where you just got to say no to it and, and think about putting yourself first, being selfish, to be unselfish in whatever you're doing. Um, as I've done that more, I've definitely been, you know, more fulfilled, happier and stuff like that as it's, I've gotten older. It's such a delicate balance, right? Because I'm, I'm the same way. And, and, I think both of us get a lot of satisfaction and get a lot of happiness from helping other people. Like when we can help other people, that's 
like that makes us feel good about ourselves and gives us some self-worth and self-confidence. But at the same time, like you have to balance it because if that's all that you're after and is just pleasing other people or doing things for everybody else and, and not taking care of yourself, like you can get caught in this trap of, of just like, unhappiness, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, cause you, you, like you, you have, again, like it, it's about kind of like your thinking about it. It's not what other people think of you. And, and that's del- And that's just a learning process of experience and getting older and trying and failing and learning what you like, learning what you don't like. And, uh, but I'm with you, man. I mean, it's such a, such an interesting dichotomy of like, I really love helping people, but when that's all I focus on and I'm not focusing on like myself and, and growing and, and all that kind of stuff, it, it can be something that kind of brings you back down. Hundred percent, and I I talked. I feel like I talked about this on a podcast recently, but I can't remember which entrepreneur said it. Whose business was like a a business of helping people, kind of like what you do, what I do in a different way, I'm sure. And he was just like, sometimes I need to be selfish so that I can be unselfish. Yeah. And it's like my problem is sometimes I spread myself too thin because I can't say no when I want to help people or I want to go do this or I want to go do that and. And then, you know, one of the things I learned early is that, well, my, my business will suffer if I spread myself too thin and just say yes to working with everyone. Yeah. And so like, I sometimes have to say no and trying to get better at that. But the, you know, the better I get at it, the happier I am myself, the happier my clients are. And, you know, so yeah, you're right. It's a delicate balance for sure. Yep. Wow. We just got kind of deep there. We got into a deep psychological <laughs> tangent, but I liked it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, with that, let's uh, let's head on over to Teresa here. And uh, again, fantastic conversation with her. Love talking with you too, man. But this was way better than talking to you. Well, <laughs> you were on there. But, uh, but again, we want to thank uh, the PWHPA for getting behind this Outstanding Women in Hockey series. Uh, we have so much respect for the job that they're doing to promote and elevate the game of women's hockey. And, and we've so enjoyed all of our conversations and everything that we've been doing uh, with the women's players over this past couple weeks. And, and, uh, we're going to continue to do a lot of this type of stuff because I mean, there's so many great women in, in hockey right now. And, uh, so we want to be at the forefront of that. We want to thank gel sticks, our title sponsor, go to G E L S T X.com to get some awesome training aids that can help you with your shot, help you with your strength. Jeff uses them in the weight room. People use them on the ice. They use them in their basement in their driveway in their garage, whatever it may be. Uh, so go to gel sticks.com. Use the promo code think tank one word uh, to get a nice little discount on those training aids. Jeff, you want to uh, thank your boys over at Train Heroic? Yeah, and when you were saying it, like your cadence, it just sounded like uh, our pets' heads are falling off. That's like <laughs> the cadence, like, dumb and dumber. What's up? Uh, yeah, just want to thank everybody over at Train Heroic, especially uh, Josh Suture, one of the founders of the app. But uh, Train Heroic is an unreal application that is on your phone or iPad. You can track all your workouts. You can find any trainer on there, purchase different programs. All of my programs for uh, for right now are on there. I'm going to be starting teams up uh, when when this COVID stuff is is gone or died down and we get back to like way more of a normal life where yearly you can just join my team. And whatever time of the year it is, that's what I think hockey players should be working on in the gym at that time. And uh, my goal is to keep it very cheap for anyone also who can't afford a trainer and can think they could still go to the gym on their own and have serious programming. Uh, another thing I want to do, Tope, I just want to throw this out there is I know a lot of junior guys that I train in the summers were doing CrossFit all season. 
Like, I think the reason is a lot of junior teams don't have a lot of money to pay a strength coach and all these guys are getting injured doing it and they're burned out They're You know, it's, it's not what I think hockey players should be doing, especially during the season. So what I think I want to do with this train heroic thing is, is talk to junior teams and say, Hey, like I'll pay you a fraction of what you're going to charge a strength coach, have the assistant coach be in the gym and all the guys will have the workout straight to their phone and they'll have real workouts written by an ex-professional hockey player uh, a certified strength coach who knows what hockey players need at the different times of the season so i think that's something i want to get into so if any junior coaches are listening and, and you're interested in that shoot uh tofa text or me a text or dm one of our instagrams because it's something i want to get into i think it could really help a lot of these junior guys there you go there you go. Absolutely. Uh, and then with that too, we want to thank everybody that, uh, continues to support our podcast. Uh, we so appreciate your support. We so appreciate your sharing of what we do. And again, our, our goal with this podcast is to make the game of hockey better and provide a little, as we say, a little education, a little inspiration for the game that we love so much and the game that has given us everything. So, uh, we're trying to give back to the game here and bring it on such amazing people, uh, like Teresa, uh, to talk about their journeys, to talk about some hockey, and uh, we're really excited for this one. So uh, without further ado, let's head it on over to Teresa Feaster. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from Providence, Rhode Island, she is the, not director, but officially coordinator of hockey operations with Providence College, and she is also the first female coach for the u.s world junior team she's going to be a video coach this year out in red deer in edmonton for usa Teresa feaster Teresa, how are you doing today i'm doing great thanks thanks for having me yep i'm sure there are zero zoom calls on your schedule right now so the fact that we can do another one you're probably <laughs> just super psyched <laughs> yeah, what zoom what what <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for for coming on here. And uh, what a story you have in the game of hockey, uh, working your way up to to where you are now. Again, like we said, the first female coach of a world junior team. Um, But what we like to do is we like to take it way back. And uh, hockey is something certainly in your blood and something you grew up with, very, very passionate about. So um, what was it that made you fall in love with the great game of hockey? And tell us a story about how you got into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, as, as long as I can remember, I've loved hockey and I attribute that a lot to my dad, obviously, because I was, I grew up at the rink with him. Um, and some of my earliest fondest memories are just watching hockey with him. Um, I would always kind of try to sneak out, stay up late, watch, you know, watch hockey or any chance I could go to the rink with him, whether it was a practice or a game or anything like that. I was always just trying to, to be at the rink and, uh, be a fly on the wall too. And and he was great from, you know, from a very young age, he, you know, included me in a lot of his sort of discussions and conversations. Um, we were, we were actually reminiscing the other day when I was four or five, um, he was working for the Hershey bears. He took me on a road trip uh, to Adirondack and, you know, I was on the bus and watching the game with them and stuff. And, um, so yeah, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've loved hockey uh, and I I give all the credit to him for that because that was something that we did together. And I guess he saw that I had a passion for it and really encouraged it and included me as, as often and as much as he could. So I I give him, I give him the credit for that. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you guys were around some pretty cool teams back in the day. Now, uh, how much do you remember that Stanley Cup win in, uh, in Tampa Bay? So I was 12 when they won the Cup that year. So I actually, I remember a lot of it. Um, and it's, it's been cool that this spring they've been, um, replaying all the wins from that run in the Tampa area. Um, and then the team's been doing zoom calls where the fans could interact and stuff. So I, I was late on the train, but, um, I was able to watch game seven again for the first time. And I don't know that I've ever re rewatched it. Um, and that was really cool. Uh, cause obviously you remember, you remember the big moments, the goals, you know, say you kind of remember those big moments, but it was really cool to watch that full game um, and just to see how much hockey's changed in the last, what's it been, 16 years now. Oh, we're getting uh, old. Oh, boy. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, so that was, I'm watching it going, oh, my gosh, this doesn't even feel like the same game at times. But, uh, no, so I actually, I have a lot of great memories of that team, um, that whole run. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been cool to kind of relive it this spring a little bit, but yeah, certainly being around great teams, uh, I would say that helps the passion and it just makes you love it even more when you're around not only, a, a you know, a, a great teams in terms of hockey, but great people too. That makes all the difference in the world. For sure. For sure. Is there anything that like sticks out? So like, I am a very big student of like greatness. Like I love to like study championship teams and talk to people about championship teams and all that kind of stuff. Like, I know, I know you were young, you said you were 12, but is there anything that like sticks out about that specific group of guys? Because it sounds like it was an absolute, just a fun team to be around uh, at, at that time. So is there anything that sticks out to you about that team? Yeah, I will, I will say, I remember they, they were, they seemed like an incredibly close group of guys. Um, they were always doing, you know, like team dinners and get together. So it seemed like they really enjoyed being around each other, not just at the, the rink. Um, but they were all so competitive too. Um, and, and a lot of that too, I think came from, you know, the type of team that, that, uh, towards wanted to have, but they were so competitive and they all just, I think pushed each other and drove each other. Um, but it was funny. I, I, I caught part of their, their zoom that they were doing. And a few of them were talking about the last dance and how a lot of the, the things that, you know, Michael Jordan talks about, they kind of had those same beliefs of, you know, pushing each other every day and getting better every day and, you know, being competitors in practice. Um, so all those kinds of things, just sort of pushing each other to be better um, but then also the camaraderie that they had that, you know, they, they still feel close to this day and obviously they won a championship. So that's part of it. But I think they, they really liked each other too. Weird competition and team unity bonding <laughs> equals winning. What? <laughs> yeah. Strange, huh? <laughs> Very funny. Well, you guys, I know you guys have a pretty good culture of doing that uh, over at Providence and I do want to get to that, but I want to go back to something. I want to talk a lot of hockey with you. Um, but before I do, like, I, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into your relationship with your dad, because I have two daughters, um, been very open with that on the podcast. And I just, I find it very cool, even at the time that you were that age, that your dad just included you in everything and saw that you had a passion for the game. Um, in your opinion, as a woman, do you think that's the norm or do you think that that is, it was almost like, uh, 
what's an exception to the rule where you were allowed to be around. Cause like, I, I imagine being, you know, a coach and even being down in Florida where we've interacted before. And like, there's a lot of sons that are around doing hockey things with their dads and with other people. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of daughters doing that. And I don't know if that's like, you know, because the daughters don't want to, or the, the dads aren't necessarily like encouraging it or whatever it may be. So just in, in your, you know, in your experiences, do you feel like that happens a lot or do you think it was kind of like the exception? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it does, I guess it does feel, you know, I, I would agree with you. I don't, you know, tend to see, you know, too, too many daughters or, or stuff hanging around lots of, you know, and my, my brother was around just as much as I was too. Um, but I guess for me that I was so young when my dad first just started including me in everything and being at the rink that the rink was where I felt at home. So it never felt weird to me if I was, you know, the only girl there or something like that. Um, and then I guess I was just around so much that it just became, I just became kind of the norm at the rink. And I was really fortunate that there were a lot of great hockey minds, coaches, scouts, what have you, that just accepted me being there and then, uh, and then included me in different things. Teresa, that's awesome to, to hear about how, uh, how you and your dad had such a great relationship growing up and allowed you to grow a passion for the game. But one of the things that Jeff and I, we really, really appreciate, and we love bringing people on the podcast that, that really earned where they got and had to almost grind their way to, to getting to the position that they're in. And being the coordinator of hockey operations now, Providence College, one of the top 10 uh, college hockey programs over the past probably five, 10 years, uh, getting the job as an uh, assistant coach with the World junior team. I mean, that's something that you earned and, and talking to the the people that you've worked with at Providence, whether they're now there now or people that you worked with in the past, they just said you have an absolute huge, uh, appetite to, to want to learn and get better. And, and at the same time, like the amount that you provide for the organization as well, it's just like invaluable and they absolutely love you. Like Jeff and I always talk about too, you can, you can always tell about somebody based upon how people close to them talk about them. And when I talk to your, your colleagues, Teresa, I mean, it's, it's literally incredible the way that they talk about you. So, um, wanted to start uh, obviously with Providence. You started as a student manager and worked your way up to your position. Now, what was that process like for you? And, and how much do you, do you feel like you've learned in the, the five, six, seven years that, that you've gained the position that you're at now? Well, I, re- I really appreciate uh, you know, you saying that too. Um, but I, I always, um, you know, I always, the first thing I always say is I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful uh, that coach Lehman took, took a chance on me. Um, you know, back when I was in college and he didn't know anything about me. Um, and so I'm always grateful that he took that chance and then that he took another chance on me, um, as a, as a young person coming out of graduate school, um, in that ops role. Um, and for me, it was, it was just once I, once I was able to, to find an opportunity, I always, uh, I always thought if, if I could get a chance somewhere, um, that I could, I could prove myself with, with my work ethic and with my passion, um, you know, regardless of my gender. And that's kind of the way I, I try to approach it. Um, so I just, uh, you know, I, I, we were always taught growing up that, you know, to be successful, you have to, you have to work hard and, and earn your opportunities and, and work harder than, than everybody else. If, if you want to be successful. Um, so that was just something that I, you know, I try to approach, approach everything like that, whether it was, school or, or, 
you know, the opportunity to work for the team as a student and then as a graduate student. And, um, you know, I just tried to let, let my work ethic, you know, speak for itself, I guess. Well, you certainly did. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, like you hear Nate talk about, and he's done interviews now, like when when you were a student and, and when the typical students on Saturday nights are you know going out and partying <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, you're sitting in there breaking down video uh, till all hours of the night <laughs> to make sure that things are ready for the coaching staff. And as a former college coach, someone like yourself is extremely, extremely valuable. And what, what have you like kind of learned about yourself in that grind? Because being, I was a graduate assistant coach as well, and, and I know how much work goes into it. And, and I feel like that was probably my, my best learning year that I ever had about the game of hockey was having to do those jobs that almost like nobody else wanted to do, but somebody had to do them. Um, yeah. you know, what, what was your experience like, and what did you learn kind of going through that process as well? Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the, one of the first things I found out was how much I loved to do the video. Um, that was, it was kind of when I first started, I was doing, I was tracking time on ice and then I would get kind of random, you know, different random projects that, that the coaches thought of. Um, but the thing that I, I couldn't get enough of was the video. Um, and so even as I was, you know, as a student, I was always trying to get more video projects because I, I really liked those. Um, and then that was something that I found, um, you know, that I could help add to a staff is, you know, you can always use extra eyes, breaking down film, you know, more, you know, more games, more whatever you're doing. Um, so I, I found that I really, I really love that. And, you know, I loved, I kind of loved the grind of it too. I love being at the rink and just watching games and you kind of lose your, you know, lose track of time and stuff. But I found that I, I really loved it and that's where I wanted to be. That's awesome. I remember those nights too. I was a graduate assistant at Miami and you know, you, you stay up late after games, charting the scoring chances and stuff like that to make sure that, that they're ready. And yeah. because you love what you do, all of a sudden you look at the clock and it's like two thirty AM and you're like, Oh crap, I should <laughs> exactly. probably go home at this point. Um, <laughs> You know, so what were some of the things that you were doing from a video standpoint, maybe uh, at the beginning and, and what, what kinds of things are you doing now that you've got a little bit more grasp into it? You've been there for, for as long as you have. Yeah, I, um, when I first started, I was doing a lot of, um, you know, pulling a lot of stuff from NHL games. I guess a lot of individual video, um, you know, for, for different guys that say, oh, I mean, you know, I maybe model my game after this and the coaches would want to have clips of, you know, them doing something uh, specific. So I was doing a lot of that early on. And then I, I, as I got more and more comfortable with, you know, both the video systems and just kind of the way, you know, the staff like to work and their workflow. Then I, I started to do some more of the, you know, system stuff, um, you know, maybe example clips, positive, negative. Um, and then another thing I really liked is I would just, you know, record uh, games off of, you know, fast hockey and just, uh, break down shifts if, you know, they needed something like that. So that was something that I really enjoyed too. It's really cool that you said something in there. You said like, once you learned the workflow and what they needed and, and where you could be kind of like of help of service, how important do you think it is? And Tof and I talk about this all the time, like within coaching staffs, like having people that do different jobs and are good at whatever you're trying to delegate, like how important is it to split those things up? So it's not just one coach doing the same thing or a coach hiring the same people to be around him or her. 
Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I mean, I think, you know, a, a coaching staff is, is as much as its own little team um, within itself uh, trying to get everything done. And especially, um, you know, the way I look at it is college coaches are pulled in so many different directions. Um, you know, and if there's another set of eyes that can be helping with video breakdown or doing advanced stats or, or whatever, you know, whatever that, you know, maybe the team needs that might, you might not have time just because of the, you know, the, the incredible demand um, on their schedule. So I think it's huge to be able to have a team of people that can, you know, maybe we're all obviously pulling in the same direction, but sometimes there's a different set of eyes or, you know, we can talk things over. I, I always think that's, that's a, that's a big asset. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's like, it's, it just forms such like a well-rounded group when you guys, it's almost like a puzzle, right? Where you can all have different strengths and everybody has different weaknesses, but when you can pull all those together to form a staff and you're right, like it is, it's like a team and the more good people you can have within your team coaching staff, the, the better, uh, certainly it can be. And, and one, I think the, the biggest things when it comes to that is, is trust being able to earn trust with the people that you're working with, um, as you kind of go through the process. And that's something you obviously have done in spades, you know, Nate hiring you after being an, uh, a graduate assistant and, and now bringing you to, to team USA. Um, there's a lot of coaches out there that want to break into the business and to be able to earn that trust from the people that are in the business right now. So if you had any advice for maybe some coaches that are looking to, to break into it and, and earn that trust from the people that are in there right now, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, in, you know, just from my experience, putting in the putting in the time and the hours. Um, you know, just you, you kind of you have to build trust over over a period of time. And um, I would say, just showing up every day and you know being ready to work hard and and to you know put good work forward. Um, and each time you do that, you kind of put a you know a coin in the bank, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, but it, 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 I guess it does take time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I feel bad. I, I don't, I, uh, I don't know if that's good advice or not, but, um, that, that was kind of how I approached it. I think that's fantastic advice. <laughs> I think it's the best piece of advice you could give. Like, I, I totally agree with you. I think just working like be a good person, provide value for the people that you're working for. And, uh, and, and they'll go to the ends of the earth for you. And, and you've seen that in Providence. Again, I go back to the way that those guys have talked about you and the job that you've done within the program. I mean, you, you earned it through your work ethic, your, your willingness and ability to, to provide them with things that they can't provide. And, uh, and, and just, there's no substitute for hard work. Vex and I talk about that all the time on this podcast. And if you can do that and you can truly learn to appreciate and love the grind, like we talked about, because it is, it's, it's a grind. <laughs> and especially when you're starting out too, right? When you're starting out very rarely, are you doing the, the glamorous, you know, jobs that everybody thinks coaching is you're, you're doing a lot of the grunt work. So the, the other coaches can look good. <laughs> yes. There's some, I Nate's probably a little bit different, but there's some coaches who go in to do a video pre-scout or something like that. And they, it's the first time they've seen the video pre-scout, but you know, the people under them have done all of the legwork in terms of clipping things. And who was it that we were talking to Vex? I can't remember. Maybe it was Fersh about how we there's, we get a hundred clips 
that you have to combine into maybe a, a 10 clip, five minute meeting. <laughs> and so Teresa's yeah, probably yeah. the one that is <laughs> taking the hundred clips and putting it down to like 10 so that the other coaches can say, okay, this is what we need to, to bring to the team. Am I, am I off base on saying that? That's the, that's the hardest part. You, you, you've, get all these clips and you're like every single one of them is good how am I going to get rid of these clips I know I know right <laughs> no for uh, sure. I'm, I'm really fortunate that our staff um I would say our, everybody in our staff loves video um so that makes my job you know kind of being the one that you know maybe takes the lead on a lot of video stuff but they all love the video um so it makes my job easier in a lot of ways because they you know they want to get in and, and watch just as much as just as much as I do so you know it's it's definitely all of us all of us pulling together for that for sure. Yeah. So what specifically about the video really gets you jazzed up? Like, is it something about pre-scouts and, and finding the weaknesses of the other team? Uh, is it about breaking down your own team's play? Like, is there something that you really enjoy when it comes to the video breakdowns? Um, that's a good question. I really, I, I really like watching, I guess I guess I, I enjoy both. I really like watching us and kind of assessing our performance and where we can get better um, or things that, that we do really well. And I also love to, you know, download games on, on a Sunday and, and start to look at a team, you know, that we're playing that week. Um, I think I just really like watching hockey. <laughs> whatever excuse I can whatever excuse I can find. And um, I kind of like the analytical part of it too. I was I studied history, um, which is kind of, you know, not really related to what I wanted to do, but I love to analyze things. And, and so the video makes it really easy to do that. Um, and it's really rewarding too, after you've watched the game and, you know, clips, whatever, you know, objective you have in mind, you have this kind of tangible thing that you can present and, and show. And I, I think that's pretty cool too. That's awesome. We have a lot of parents that listen to this and a lot of young players. So if going to tell any of them who are starting to get interested in watching their own video where are some places do you think that that young coaches or parents or young players should start when they're watching their own videos what types of things do you think they should be looking for themselves um i think especially for for younger players um you know where it may not be as much as you know you're breaking down systems and stuff but just seeing um you know what, what were some of the things that your coach talked to you this week about? What were some of your drills sort of getting towards? Um, are you, are you applying those skills maybe? Um, Cause I think, I think video really at the end of the day is to, to make us better, to make us better, you know, individually and as a team. So I think uh, if you can, if you can watch clips with that sort of growth mindset that you're doing this to get better um, I think whatever you take from that, is always going to be a positive if you, if you approach it that way. I love that. I absolutely love that because I feel like video when we were using it to start out in our junior hockey careers, Tof and I, or at least me, when we were going into video, everyone was nervous. So it was like, it was like yeah. this, it was like a negative experience to where it really turned me off to video. The first year I played juniors also because I was messing up all the time. <laughs> so I knew I, the low light, uh, I was not in a highlight, uh, but yeah, I, you know, so I was going in there in a nervous way. And I think they, that, that coach, they approach it. Like you just said, Hey guys, we're going to do video and we're not doing this to 
make fun of you. We're not trying to, you know, make you feel bad. We're doing this with a growth mindset to help you learn and see what you can't see on the ice. It's so hockey is so fast. Everything happens in an instant. Absolutely. So we're going to use, we're going to use video to kind of teach you these scenarios so you can learn them. And then the next time they're presented, hopefully you can think faster and make, you know, a better decision. But I think it's so important to frame it that way as you're going into video, especially with young players when you're starting video, because you, you want them like you are. I mean, I genuinely hear in your voice that you are excited about video. Um, so like <laughs> I want a great thing and I want players that I coach to be excited to watch and learn and then apply, not just go in there being like, Oh God, I remember in the third period I did that stupid thing. Is that going to get clipped? So I think that's super important what you just did there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it should be a tool, um, that, you know, that we all are able to use to, to get better. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. So when you're, yeah, I think that's another thing too. Like when you're watching video and individual clips with players, like I, I think it was Connor Carrick that we had Vax on the podcast. He talked about like the 70, 30, like the, the sweet spot yep. for him was 70% positive clips, 30% you know, teaching clips of things that he could have done better. So, you know, Teresa, when you're sitting down and you're breaking games down for the coaches and, and you're going into, to give a meeting or have an individual meeting with a player, um, how, how, is there any, I don't want to say like a percentage, but like how important is it? Do you think that you provide both of those in, in making the player better? I think it's huge. Um, I think, you know, human nature, when you, when you see something positive, whether it's yourself doing it or, a teammate doing it, um, you know, that, that kind of positive reinforcement helps, you know, tremendously. Um, but at the same time too, you know, if you, as, uh, as you mentioned, if, if you see a mistake or, or you see something um, that you shouldn't have done, um, you know, hopefully you, you, you don't repeat that again. So I do think you need to have both. You have to have a balance. Um, it probably also depends on, you know, the, the age of the team, the makeup of the team, um, you know, whether it's a team meeting or, a, you know, an individual meeting as well, too. I think all those things factor in. But, yeah, you definitely have to have both. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good that, uh, you know, you usually don't show the video right after a game, right? So you can kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> self-edit a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe things, uh, you know, a little, bit, a little bit brighter the next day. But, yeah, I think you certainly need both. But, um, you know, the positives are, are huge. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned analytics too, before that, that's something that you're interested in when it comes to, you know, evaluating a player's play, uh, after a game, what are some analytics that you use to, to provide them for some feedback on, uh, how they play during the game? I think it depends on, you know, every team kind of what they, you know, what they value. Um, obviously a lot of the things that get charted are, are the same across the board, you know, scoring chances for and against, you know, uh, hits and block shots, face-offs, like all those kinds of things. But, um, you know, then you can kind of break it down further. Um, you know, maybe a role player's analytics are going to be a lot different than your leading scorer's analytics. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, one of them is, is a less valuable member of a team. So to be able to kind of break it down and, you know, what, what was our, what are our metrics of success? Um, and figuring that out, you know, for each, for each team and for each player too, I think. 
That's, that's a really interesting point. And I, I remember just even as a coach, sometimes you go in and, uh, you know, you post the stats, the, you post the analytics on the board for the games over the weekend, and it's almost like a one size fits all. So everybody has the same columns and everybody can see it up on the board and all that kind of stuff. But it's, I wonder if that's not even uh, a valuable tool. Cause you think about it, like if you have a role player whose job is to do one thing and they go in and they see the fact that they don't have as many, maybe scoring chances or things like that as some of the players that play on the power play or whatever like it's it's not it, it's not indicative of the way that they played they might have played way better in their role as a role player than the top line player did as a top line player but the analytics if we look at them as a whole and everybody has the same it it doesn't reflect that. So what, what would you say to that? Like, I, I, I think that's a great point of doing it more on an individual basis and in how you're evaluating the play. Well, I, I think I think that might be one of the reasons to why hockey hasn't quite had the same sort of like across the board um, like analytics like like baseball. Like that's definitely sort of the gold standard people always look to. And I think, as you just said, I think that's one of the reasons that maybe hockey hasn't quite reached that sort of standardized system. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's you know, as you mentioned, like if, if, you know, a guy goes out and blocks three shots in the last, you know, five on six, um, you know, but didn't have a scoring chance, you know, that, that helped you win too. Um, so you have to look at it, you know, with sort of that larger frame of mind and, you know, everybody, everybody has to contribute to the team to help you be successful. And it doesn't always look the same for, you know, all, you know, 18 guys that were dressed. Right. So I, I think, you know, analytics are helpful in a lot of ways. Um, but I also think you can't, you can't look at it without kind of that knowledge of the game or the team, um, as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And when you're talking about team analytics, uh, I know a big part of what you do is, is, uh, providing a pre-scout and providing a summary of, of what the other team that you're going to be playing is doing. What are some things that are important to you from an analytics standpoint, when you're trying to analyze a different team that you're playing and almost exploiting what they do? Oh, good question. Um, it's all we got here, Teresa. It's all we got. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I haven't, I I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way before, um, as far as, you know, analytics, but I guess maybe, um, I guess the biggest thing for me is just trying to get a feel for that team, especially if it's a team that, you know, maybe you you haven't seen, you know, that season, maybe I've seen in a couple of seasons, um, just sort of how they play, you know, their top players sort of, you know, how are they going to try to beat you? Um, you know, what, what's been successful against them? I guess that kind of stuff, but yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it as, as far as analytics. Um, I guess I don't have a good answer for that. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I like getting to just getting a feel for the team and, and how they play more than anything. Yeah, for sure. So what are some things that you look for when you're breaking another team down? Cause I, I agree. Like I used to love watching other teams play. Like I would go back and watch all their goals that they scored and you know, little things like that. Um, it's so fun. And, and in my year that I was at Miami, I was doing a lot of the pre-scouts and I, you could probably empathize with this. You'd watch them play however many games beforehand. And then you would go up into the press box and you're, you're filming the game or you're watching the game from up top. And it was almost like scripted. Like you could, you knew what the other team was going to yeah. do. You knew what you were going to do. And then it's just like, it's almost like 
everything that happened on the ice, you, you could call beforehand. <laughs> so what, uh, for you, what, what, what do you love about that execution of pre-scouts and looking at the other team? Uh, I guess I, I, I love seeing kind of one of the first things I always sort of look for is just how, how do they score? How does their offense generate it? Because I think that's, you know, that can be so different depending upon who you're playing. Um, you know, are they going to try to exploit you on the rush? Are they going to, or, you know, are they more of a heavy team and, you know, going to try to grind you down in the ozone or, or something like that. Um, to me, that's kind of one of the first things I always, I always, uh, start looking for is how, how are they going to try to, to, to beat us, I guess. Um, and then as you're watching the game too, things, I think things kind of come to you, which I'm sure you can relate to. And if you're watching it and then you go, Oh, I should clip that or, or, or what have you. But um, yeah, I guess just start from there and then, and then see where it takes, takes you. I like it. I like it. I have a question for you, Teresa, since you're into analytics and video and, and um, you know, there's people talking about, there's some people who love throwing all the pucks at the net. And there's some people who are like possession to only shoot it when it's like a really good. And the other one is because we had uh, chase Berger, who's now in the American league. He's one of the guys I train. He, he was the captain of Penn State and their coach didn't really want them finishing checks. So like that, it's like yeah. another outside the box where it's like, do you finish all your checks or do you not from an analytics standpoint, somebody who watches a lot of video, what are your thoughts on those two schools of thought? One being uh, a question being the shots or, or hold on to it and the finishing checks versus not. The shots one is interesting that you ask because I kind of go back and forth on it. To be honest <laughs> with you, sometimes I'll watch a team and they'll throw everything to the net and it just causes so much chaos. And I'm going, Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's how you're successful. And other times, you know, you're watching all these shots from the outside and you're going, that's just an easy save. Should we hold on to it? So that one, I definitely go back and forth on, um, as, as far as checks, I, I mean, I've been watching a lot of last year's playoffs and I, I mean, I, I don't know the right answer, but I will say the two teams that were in the finals last year, are probably two of the heaviest, you know, punishing teams, um, in the NHL. So I certainly think that there's still a, you know, there's still a place in the game for, you know, finishing hits and, and being heavy. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think that's how we, we try to play. We try to be heavy physical, um, you know, as, as much as possible, but, you know, not to the detriment of your offense. You're not just being physical for the sake of being physical. You're, you're being physical to, you know, gain possession, keep possession. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, you guys are definitely one of those heavy teams. I have to ask you being a Cornell grad and coach there, how was that game when you guys played against Cornell this year? Cause the two teams, they play very, very similarly. And I know there was a little bit of angst from the Cornell side playing against you guys. Cause you knocked us out of the tournament last year to go to the frozen four as well. So watching that game from up top, that had to have been one of the most physical games you guys that you've seen in your time at Providence has to be, has to be. We, and we were prepared for that too, because I mean, we've, we've had some great games with Cornell, as you mentioned the tournament last year. Um, you know, when we were watch when we were watching them, you know, we felt like they had a shot to win the national title. And, and that's how we approached that game. That, hey, we got to beat these guys. If we want a shot to win the national title, um, you know, we have to play up to their, to their level in terms of physicality and stuff. But that game in Vegas this year was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was such a good hockey game. Um, two great teams and you know I it was a 
you know, a little bit heartbreaking at the end on our side that uh, we got scored on five on six. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an awesome game. Um, and just, it, it was probably one of the better games that, that we played in this year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, going back to some of the analytics, Teresa, it's, it's funny, Jeff, the, the question that you asked, because I, I totally agree with Teresa that I think you just got to have to play with your, to your identity of who you are as a team. Like there's teams that win yeah. by doing it one way. There's teams that win by doing it another way. And, uh, as long as you're bought into that way and everybody wants and, and truly tries to play in that manner. I think that's the recipe for winning success. And you mentioned Providence and Cornell, you know, those are two teams that do it a certain way, a certain heavy black and blue way, um, real tight, like real stringent in the neutral zone, just tough to play against, but have some players that can really do the job. Like Providence had the leading score in the country this year and Jack Dugan. Uh, then you have other teams that do it a different way. Like for instance, Penn state, you know, Penn state had a really good year this year too. So, um, Teresa, I know that's something that Nate's really, really good at in terms of building a culture and building an identity. Um, Take us a little bit into that process and in that locker room. Why do you think Nate in, in Providence is so good at kind of building that culture, building that identity, and, and which has allowed him to, to flourish and have success so much there? Yeah, I, mean, I think it starts, you know, it, it, it comes from such a, such a real place um, from, from him. And he believes in it and he – you know, preaches it and we all, it's just kind of become something that we are. And it's, it's one of the things that I love the most about Providence when people ask me um, from, from the very first, you know, meeting that I sat in on, I went, I like the way that he wants to play hockey. I like the way that he wants our, our culture to be. And so I think it's really infectious when it's something that um, comes from a place that's, you know, just so genuine um, and he's so passionate um, and I think, I think that that's very infectious. And once you start to, you know, build that culture and you have all these people that, that believe in it, um, that's incredibly powerful. That's awesome. I, I have a question for you that might be a little bit touchy, but how do the boys react to having a female on the staff? Cause we haven't asked that question yet. You know, and, and there's not tons of females on Division One hockey staffs. So, how are they reacting with you and uh, interacting with you? Sorry, uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really fortunate that from from that very first day, um, you know, I just I was just treated like any other member of the staff, um, and and the boys are great. Um, I I think they you know they respect the fact that I'm. I'm here to try to help us win and, and do whatever I can. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's kind of the most important thing that, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. And, you know, if, if I can contribute in any way throughout the week that, you know, helps us on Friday night, um, I, I think they respect that. And, um, you know, I, I have nothing but, but positive things to say as, as far as the guys and, and how they treat me and, and, from, from day one and until now. That's all. That's all. So that makes me so happy to hear it at Western Michigan. I went to Western from Oh five to Oh eight. And we had our strength coach was a female and I was all the guys that were in my class. We were super close with her. She was very passionate, much like you just said about your head coach. Like, 
uh, very genuine. We could tell she cared about us. And there was no difference between if it was her or a guy or a monkey. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. she was bought into our team culture and she was somebody who perpetuating that team culture and, and, and the, uh, you know, guidelines our coach put forward. And, and it, so that's all to hear. Uh, cause it was the same at Western when I was there with, with Jen query. Yeah. And I, and I think it speaks to people too. When, when you have good people, um, you know, good things come from it, right? It's, it's as long as you have the right people in, in your, in your team and in your culture, you're, you're probably going to be in a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you have passionate people on a staff like that, Vex, I mean, it, it makes the world a difference. Um, again, like you said, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're providing value for people and you have a passion and like, if people want to be around you every day, it's infectious. Like there's the people, the energy vampires that we've talked about where it's just like, oh man, like got to be around this person today. And then there's people who truly have a passion for their job and, and people just want to be around that. When you show up to the rink every day, like it's just so much more of a, a good feeling and you, you can get so much more accomplished and so much more done when you're enjoying the people that you're being around. And that's, I think that especially goes for players to coaches. When you have coaching staffs as players that are really invested in you and, and Teresa, I would imagine like these guys, they understand and they know how much work goes into the back end of everything that goes on when the bright lights and all that stuff ends up happening. And uh, those coaches are so, so valuable and it's even more valuable when those coaches have a passion for what they do and, and really enjoy it because that's, that's not easy work. <laughs> that's, it's really, it really, it really can be easy to kind of be, you almost feel like you're the low man on the totem pole or low woman on the totem pole. Um, and, and just like, just not enjoy the grind. But when you have people that enjoy the grind, it, it, it has a direct reflection in the players because it's a grind for the players, too. And so it's just uh, players and, and teams take on the personality of their coaching staffs. And uh, you guys are all different on your Providence coaching staff. I know all of you. And it's uh, it's got to be a fun place to be. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's for me. I, I love going to the rink every day. Um, and as you say, it, you know, it can be a grind, but when it's a it, it's a grind of of doing something that you love, um, and being around good people. And, and as you say, people that want to be at the rink and make you excited to be at the rink. Um, it, it doesn't feel like a grind, I guess, when, when you're, when you're happy to be there and happy to be around everybody that's, that's pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Jeff always says he, Jeff's never worked a day in his life. You know what's really funny about that? I was just telling this story to uh, Dr. Tony Katakis, my, my uh, team chiropractor for my guys. Uh, he hadn't heard the story. I say I'd never worked a day in my life, and we were talking with my buddy Matt Buha, who Tof knows. And Buha was remembering a story I told him in college. I tried to get a real job one time. Uh, I tried I tried to – yeah, I don't think I've told you this, Tof. I don't know. I a real a job? Team. What's going on? I feel like, I feel like on, hell's freezing over on. right now. My feet are kind of cold. Oh my god! <laughs> two job interviews while I was at Western, and I was already—I was the captain of Western as a sophomore. It was my sophomore year. I went to Old Country Buffet, and I went to Applebee's. Applebee's didn't even call me back. <laughs> and Old Country Buffet, I walked in, and the manager was a hockey fan. He knew who I was. He's like, "Oh yeah, you'll get hired. No problem. You just got to come back in a few days." And you'll meet, uh, you'll meet the owner. So I come back in a few days. Guy doesn't even look up from his paper. He's like, so you've never had a job before? I was like, well, I've dedicated my life to hockey. I'm the captain at Western down the road as a sophomore. But he's like, 
you're not what we're looking for. Thanks for coming in. Bye. Didn't even <laughs> look up at me. And I was like, man. And then, you know, my first real job side NHL deal. So suck it old country buffet, but yeah, you know, <laughs> could get a real job, man. So I've only had two in my life and neither of them are real jobs. You are correct. <laughs> uh, old country buffet had a lot of meals at old country buffet played in the USHL. Uh, OCB. You, we never, yeah, we never, our coach was a good man. We went to Olive Garden, OCB. Blah. What? Yeah. You guys had we, Olive Garden? We have Fazoli's. Oh, dude, I love it. Don't even tell me about it. That's like, that's like crack. They put cocaine or something because that stuff is like <laughs> so – you just want to just drink that sauce. It's insane. And the breadsticks. The breadsticks are fantastic too. Oh. So it was interesting. So I hadn't been to Fazoli's in forever. And then, you know, obviously when you're an assistant coach, you're traveling a lot and we watched a lot of USHL games. And uh, I think we were in Des Moines. We were in Des Moines and uh, stopped into the Fazoli's that we used to go to that was right near the arena and had it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is absolutely disgusting and amazing <laughs> all at the same time. Fast food pasta is the way to go. <laughs> oh, delicious. I got to go awesome. eat Fazoli's now. <laughs> um, well, t- Teresa, one of the things that you did at, uh, at Providence, which I wanted to talk to you about too, is you were the liaison for team impact and team impact is actually a, something that, uh, we did at Cornell as well. And it's a, it's a program and an organization that pairs terminally or not necessarily terminally, but very, very sick kids with college teams, um, to become a part of your team. And it's really cool. Vex, like they have uh, a signing day and a press conference and the kid legitimately comes, becomes a part of your program. And so we had an incredible, incredible kid that we had. His name was Colin. And, uh, he, unfortunately he passed away, uh, last year, which is, I mean, it's just like the saddest thing ever. He was, he had a brain tumor, brain cancer, had to fight that, but like he was a huge part of our success and a huge part of the culture for our team. And so take me through your guys' experience with team impact. And I'd love to even just talk about the program uh, on this podcast, because it is such an amazing thing that they're doing for, for some of these kids that are, you know, running on pretty tough times. Yeah, absolutely. It it is an incredible, incredible program. Um, And I was, I was really fortunate that, you know, that was kind of one of the first things that I I helped to do. And um, we had a little boy, I think he was seven when he first got paired with us, um, Kevin and, uh, he's, I think he's in high school now. I saw a picture on Facebook the other day and I, I couldn't believe uh, how big he is uh, just because I remember him, you know, running around the locker room as, as a little guy. Um, but it, it's, it was so cool to get to know Kevin and his sister um, and his mom and dad through that, you know, that first year. And then, um, you know, I, one of the, my favorite memories I, I is he and his father were at our, our national championship game um, and I, I don't know how, but he, you know, he kind of came down to the bench and somebody saw him and, you know, pulled him over the glass. And so he's in our, you know, he's right in the middle of our, our championship photo. And, and he was a huge part of our team, you know, anytime he could come to a game, um, you know, he was down in the locker room beforehand, you know, giving knuckles and all the guys just, you know, had such a great relationship with them. Um, and I, you know, I give, I give them, you know, so much credit because, you know, some of the things would be my ideas, but then they'd you know, make it their own. So we did, you know, like a kind of set up a trick or treat in their, in the dorm where they lived. And, you know, he had a blast with that. And for his birthday, he lived pretty close to the rink. So for his birthday, 
you know, the guys found out what he liked and they got him a, you know, a Nerf gun and surprised him at the bus stop. So we were able to do some really cool things. And, um, you know, Kevin, you know, he still stays, his, his family ended up moving. Um, but you know, they stay in touch and I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking, I have their Christmas card on my fridge. You know, it's just, it's a really great, it's really great organization, as you said, and, um, you make some really meaningful connections and, um, you know, I, I'm glad that, that we were able to do that and have Kevin as part of our, part of our team. Yeah. And Vax, like it's, it really is, it's unreal. I mean, they legitimately become a part of your team and, uh, the, the, the fabric and the culture and everything like that. And, you know, Colin, uh, rest in peace, my man, he, he, it was so funny. He would come in, uh, so he was probably eight, nine years old at the time. I think we started with him when he was seven and, uh, he thought it was really funny because at some point I can't remember what he said, but he swore and he said like <laughs> effing good game or, you know, something, something to that effect or his brother was messing with him and he said the F word and the boys just started absolutely howling, like thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So he's like, Oh Oh, this is funny, huh? <laughs> so then, like every time we come in, it's just like F word. <laughs> oh. Created a monster. Yeah. Created a monster. But it is, man. I mean, it's it's incredible. That little guy, like he fought until the end. And uh, I was fortunate enough. I was kind of the liaison and the person that um, that initiated a lot of the stuff with with him and got to visit him uh, at the hospital a couple different times and like just the amount of surgeries that he had. I mean. And now that I have kids, I mean, I can't even imagine going through something like that. And the family was just an incredible family. And, and, and Jeff and I, we talk about perspective all the time and how powerful perspective can be. And as a college athlete, right, it's it's not an easy job. It's it's tough. It's tough to put your heart and soul into school and into hockey every single day on that grind to, to try and become the best that you can be and get to higher levels and help your team win and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot that goes into it. And there's times where you you can feel like life is pretty hard and, and maybe you don't have it as good as you wished, but then those little kids, they walk in the room and you see the cards that they've been dealt and, and you see how happy they are. And you see just the, the smiles of, of all the kids on your team's faces when those people walk into the room. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And, and I have to imagine Teresa, you would probably agree with me that, that the kid that you guys have is a huge part to your guys' success that you've had as a program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, it's, it's, it's a huge, um, you know, just puts everything in perspective that, you know, you know, you're, you're something that you're going through, you think is hard or all of it, you know, this sucks or whatever. And then you look at that kid and everything, you know, just how strong and courageous they are. And, you know, you know, they have quote unquote real problems and yours are, are, are nowhere near what they're, you know, dealing with on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, just to have, just to have, you know, somebody like that around, it's just such a great example of, of courage and, and, you know, that their attitude is so positive, you know, even when they're going through some, some of the most awful things you can in life. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no way to, you know, to kind of express how powerful that is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the toughest interactions that you're going to have, but also one of the most rewarding because you see them and, and you just, you feel for them and the family and and what they're going through. But then at the same time, you're grateful for their friendship and you're grateful for the lessons that they teach you. And, 
Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I'm getting a little emotional right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to segue to something else if you guys don't mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Teresa, I, I wanted to, uh, to ask you, I mean, what a unbelievably cool thing to be the first woman named to a U.S. world junior coaching staff. I mean, what an honor to not only represent your country, but to be a, a trailblazer, um, in, in what you have been able to accomplish. So take us through when you found out that you were going to be on the coaching staff and then tell us a little bit about how you felt at that moment. Yeah, it was, it was something that Nate, um, you know, Nate had mentioned to me might be a possibility, you know, he was going to try to, 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 you know, have me on the staff, um, you know, back when he, you know, when he was first announced uh, as the coach. So I, you know, when he first told me that I was, you know, over the top, you know, just the, just the, just the possibility that he was even, considering me, um, you know, I was really touched by that and really honored that he would, you know, trust me with something like that. Um, and then as we got into the spring, um, you know, he kind of, he kind of made the call that, you know, I was, I was going to be on the staff and, um, I, I think I was speechless. I'm still, I still am not great at, uh, you know, expressing how much that means. And, um, it's, it's so humbling and, and it's such an honor, as you say, anytime you're able to represent your country um, and at a tournament like the World Junior. I mean, I, I'm sure just like most hockey people, you know, that's a tournament that you look forward to and you follow. And, you know, I have a lot of great memories of watching, you know, the World Junior with my with my dad and my brothers and stuff like that. So to be a part of that, um, just just that in and of itself, it's, it's such an honor and, and something that I'm really grateful for. Um, but then, you know, as you mentioned, there's, there's kind of that bigger significance on top of it. And that's not something I'm going to take lightly either. I, I probably haven't fully grasped, uh, you know, all the, the ramifications of that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored for the opportunity and, and I'm going to do the best I can. That's awesome. And, and you talk about being a trailblazer and what you're doing. I mean, we've talked to, to some women already that have been on our podcast and we can't thank you guys enough for the work that you've done to, to teach little girls that it can't happen. And, uh, I wanted to ask you with that, was there any, any women role models in hockey that you had growing up, um, seeing like, Hey, these, these women did amazing things. And, uh, you know, I, I aspire to kind of be like them or, or blaze a trail kind of like them. You know, I've, I've been thinking about that recently. Um, and the one, you know, the one thing I was always trying to be like my dad, I guess. Um, and so that was the person I was always trying to emulate the most. Um, and I give him so much credit that he never, you know, I didn't see anybody that, you know, looked like me in an NHL office, but he never made me feel like that was something out of the, the realm of possibility. You know, he never, you know, he never even brought up you know, that it might be an obstacle or, or what have you. And I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I always thought, Hey, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to, you know, be able to find a, you know, an opportunity somewhere, but I give him a lot of credit for, for never really putting any of that, that doubt in my mind. Um, and then it wasn't necessarily a hockey uh, person, but when the Spurs hired um, uh, Becky uh, Hammond and I just thought, wow, you know, here's, one of the best organizations in the NBA and, you know, they're, they're taking a chance on her because they think she's best for the job. I, you know, I think that definitely spurred something in my mind that said, Hey, you know, try to prove you're, you're you know, you're really good at what you do and, and somebody might take a chance. 
Absolutely. And uh, I, I would imagine that just in, in, in knowing you a little bit, but knowing the people that you work with, that is not a responsibility that you're going to take lightly. Would that be a pretty fair assessment? <laughs> yeah, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. Yeah, well, it, it, it's 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 hard because we we referenced it on a previous podcast that one of the the hardest things for little girls, you know, as they kind of look to their aspirations and their dreams of what they want to do, one of the biggest things that they don't really have right now is they can't look up to see female coaches very much. They don't look up to see female people in management positions, whether that's in sports or whether that's in business, whatever it may be. I think what's the stat? It's less than 10%, maybe even less than 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. And so you, you kind of look at that. And that's why I think what you're doing is is such an invaluable thing because you're you're blazing the path for, for other girls to be able to dream. And, and Jeff and I both, I'll speak for myself. I'll probably speak for you too. I mean, we got to where we got to because we had unbelievable mentors and we can look up and see people doing things that we wanted to do. And girls at, at this juncture, not a lot of them have that when it comes to these types of positions. So the fact that you're blazing this trail is going to help so many little girls uh, that are coming up and are passionate about hockey to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I can do that too. Proof. Yeah. And that, that means, that means so much. And, you know, every time I, you know, think about that, it's, it, it, it almost, you know, knocks the wind out of you, just how significant that is. And, um, you know, as you say, it's not, it's not something I'm going to take lightly, but if, you know, if there's, if there's any, you know, girls out there that, that are able to look at that and say, Hey, I can do that too. Um, you know, that's, that's, I, I can't even put into words what that means. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an incredible honor. Love it. Love it. Well, before we let you go, Teresa, I've been instructed to, to ask by one of your former counterparts to, to ask you what the best Mexican restaurant in, in Providence, Rhode Island is. <laughs> I have a feeling I know where that, uh, that question came from, but, uh, I would say it's, it's, uh, tortilla flats, but <laughs> you might have to check with Mayo and killer on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Teresa, it. have you been to Andino's? Please tell me yes. 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 Oh my God. That's, have you uh, had their pink sauce? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so That's, I played. Uh, yeah, it's the greatest Italian restaurant in the entire world. I played for the P Bruins for like two and a half years. And oh my, there were days where I swear to God, I'd eat three meals from there. It was out <laughs> that of control. Is unreal. Yeah, it and is. The, oh. the, that's our team's favorite spot for, for like a Thursday night meal. So if, well, okay. if they get an Andino's meal, they're, they're really pumped. So when, when they see that one on the calendar, they, they get really excited. That but yeah, the is. pink sauce is great. I feel like that piece of chicken parm is like the size of the plate. Like it's, it's, it's huge. massive. I don't even know where they're, <laughs> yeah, you can, where they're, it's not a piece of chicken. It's a piece, it's a whole bear or something like it, it's yeah. the biggest it piece of chicken of all. yeah oh it makes me so happy you're going there but as soon as i was looking at your providence hat i was like it made me think of providence and then my first thought <laughs> i think of providence is andino's and pink sauce andino's. <laughs> yeah yeah they take good care of us there i mean all those spots up on federal hill are, are so good but yeah definitely andino's is is the favorite spot for for the friars <laughs> well, well if i ever cool. come and watch a coach or watch co- come and see the team i will be stopping at andino's and then i'll be catching a game <laughs> and then a little hey. bit of food coma yep yeah. 
uh, how um, how pumped are you to work with uh, with Killer and Mayo again for World Juniors? That's got. Yeah, I know you guys had a really tight relationship when you guys worked together. Obviously, when you win a national championship together, that bonds you even a little bit more. So, are you excited to work with those two knuckleheads or what? Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's been it's been great just to you know sort of be back uh, you know talking talking hockey with those guys on a regular basis. You know, it, obviously you still do that when you're on different sides, but when you're on the same side, it's, it's different and it's great to reminisce about, you know, a lot of great memories that we had from our, from our run. And, um, no, it's, it's awesome to be, to be back working with those guys. Very, very cool. Is there anything that you guys are doing right now? You mentioned that, uh, you guys are talking some hockey and stuff, but you guys already preparing, even though the, the world juniors is months and months away, you guys are already getting going on, on forming some plans and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all so excited just to have, um, you know, to have hockey to talk about and to, to be, you know, whatever whatever it may be. So just whether it's talking players or systems or stuff like that, I mean, we're all, we all love to to be doing that. And, you know, it just gives us another, another reason to get together and, and talk about that stuff. Good stuff. Well, we cannot wait to see you up in the press box out in Red Deer, Alberta and, uh, and out there in Edmonton, hopefully <clears throat> I, I can't imagine like playing against the Canadians up in Canada. I know killer and, and Mayo had that, uh, opportunity to beat them in the shootout, uh, for the gold medal a couple years ago, or was that the semifinal game or was that the gold medal game when they beat, uh, when Troy Terry had those gold medal game, gold medal. I think you're right. Yeah. I think um, it was. So- Hopefully you guys can have a similar experience up there, but Teresa, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and, uh, and sharing your story. And, and like I said, I mean, those guys that, that I'm friends with that you worked with, uh, they absolutely, absolutely think that you are a stud in this game and have big, big things ahead of you. And I can't wait to see where your career goes as well. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck with all of it. And, uh, hopefully see, uh, hopefully we see anybody in a ring soon, but hopefully we can see it. <laughs> yeah, ring absolutely. Soon too. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for having me. I, I really love what you guys do with the podcast. So, um, you know, I was, I was grateful to, to be asked to come on. So, so thank you. And it's been great talking hockey. Absolutely. All right. Have fun. And what'd you call it? P town, Jeff P or P Bruins. You're a P Bruin. We, well, I called it P town anyways, though. <laughs> 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 All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks.